the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Anyway, we're talking about family resemblances today. Uh, I remember when I was first born again, maybe a couple years in, you know, when you're a new Christian, you think you know everything, but you really don't, but you think you do at the time. I had some Jehovah Witnesses come to my house in the front yard and begin to talk to me, and, and I knew just enough to know that they don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe he's the Son of God. Something I, I don't really study the false religions. I just study the real. But I knew enough to know that I was trying to tell them, but we, I believe that Jesus is, is God. Well, they took me to John chapter 1, verse 8, and they showed me where it says, no man has seen God at any time. And I was like, oh, they kind of got me there because I was thinking, is that a contradiction in the Bible? And so I didn't really know what to say. They left, you know, and I was thinking, and and for 20 years since then, I've been preparing my answer in case I see them Jehovah Witnesses again. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? The Bible says Moses saw God face to face. So is there a contradiction there? When it says no man has seen God, I got to thinking, you know what? What they mean is no man has seen God in the fullness of his glory. Seeing the Father God who is a spirit. That's got to be what they're talking about. Because you remember later on Moses says, let me see your glory. So he's already seen God face to face. What's he talking about? Let me see your glory. There was a deeper level. There, there was more. So I got to thinking, and I got to thinking about the Old Testament. There are several times where it says the angel of the Lord appeared. And, it, and it, to me, I believe, now I, I'm not going to argue this point with you, but I believe that's what you call a Christophany. That's a pre-incarnate Jesus that came in the Old Testament in a, in a way that our eyes could comprehend without frying us, you know, with the full holiness of God, God appearing in human form so that we can palate it, so that we can see. I mean, you got the time when the angel of the Lord uh, haggled with Abraham before he went and destroyed Sodom. You remember that? You got the story where uh, the angel of the Lord appeared and told Abraham to put down the knife before he was fixing to kill Isaac, his son. You got the time where God wrestled with Jacob on the bank of the Jabbok River. So you got appearances of God before Jesus was actually born as a human on the earth as we know him. He appeared to Samson's mom to tell her that she was going to have Samson. And you remember that the guy that showed up with a sword outside the walls of Jericho talking to Joshua he was, uh, what do you call him, the, the Lord of Heaven's armies. I believe that was Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. Now, like I said, I can't prove all this out. That's just my, my idea. But have we seen God? Has, has humans seen God? According to the Bible, I believe we have. 
Today's message that I'm going to preach boldly declares, you've seen the Father. That's the title of today's message if you're filling out your notes. You've seen the Father. Well, you look at your neighbor and say, how have I seen the Father? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn to John 14. John 14, chapter 8. I mean, John 14, verse 8. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Y'all are good. John 14, verse 8. Now, Philip is one of the disciples. He'd been walking with Jesus for three years. He's seen all the miracles and, and everything that Jesus has done. He just got through having the Last Supper with Jesus. And Jesus, all this time, has been telling the disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be raised from the dead. He's telling this to them over and over, and they don't really comprehend. And in verse 8, Philip says, He's, he's finally, Jesus is, he's, they're trying to get to, Jesus is about to be captured, and they want to know, are you the Christ? They're, Philip's pulling his hair out, and he says, Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. It takes some people a lot before they finally get it. All the miracles, raising the dead and everything else, and now he's saying, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. <laughs> Staggering statement. A man says, anybody who has seen me has seen God, the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Colossians 2.9 says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So he was both in a human form, but he was God. He was 100% human, 100% God, but the fullness of God was in Jesus. When you've seen Jesus, you have seen who? Jesus was arguing with the Pharisees. He said, before Abraham was, I am. A reference to back in Exodus when Moses says, who are you? Tell him, I am that I am. It says in John 8, 58, at that point they picked up stones to stone him. Why were they going to stone Jesus? Because here he is, a man claiming to be God. They knew what he was saying. He's saying that he's the great I am, and he's standing right here. We're seeing him. In John 10, 30, a little bit later, Jesus says, The Father and I are one. Another staggering statement. People claim, well, Jesus was just a good man. He was a prophet. We believe he was a prophet, but we don't believe he was God. He's a lunatic if he's saying these things and they're not true. Colossians 1.15 says about him, he is the visible image of the invisible God. You want to see the Father? Look at Jesus. Have you looked 
in the New Testament, have you studied the Gospels? You've seen the Father. His name is Jesus. The Father is in Him. When we see Jesus, we see also God's character. So you want to know how God handles situations? You know, want to know how He feels about things? What, what make Him upset? What make Him happy? How He feels about things? Study Jesus. Because He also reflects. And we know that God's character is under assassination in this nation in which we're living. <laughs> they don't miss an opportunity to slander his name, do they? Many, for example, will ask with disdain in their breath how God could allow that horrific tragedy to happen in Sutherland Springs where 26 godly people were murdered in the sanctuary last Sunday. I know we ask those questions. It's okay to ask God questions that we'll talk about later. It's okay to ask God questions. He's not afraid of questions. But many ask it with disdain on their breath. Some people I saw in blogs couldn't wait to say, where was your God then? You know what that makes me think? That makes me think, okay, you're an atheist. I can handle that. You don't believe in God. But that makes me think you're not even a good person for saying that. You don't even care you're, to be a decent human being, that's the first thing out of your mouth after 26 people have lost their life? Where was your God? We're living in tough times. I don't have... I, I don't have all the answers. I wish I could sit up here and tell you exactly why this has happened. This tragic, horrific thing has happened. I, it's terrible. It, it rips our hearts out, and we, wanna, we wish we had the answers. But for 20 years since I've been born again, I've been asking myself why bad things happen to good people so that I can be ready with some kind of answer. Some kind of hypothesis. So I could at least say, well, why do good things happen to bad people? You know, I have some kind of answer to give. And one of the, the ways I explain it is we don't see the greater good beyond what we can see with our physical eyes, but God does. You know, God sees the entire puzzle. He sees the finished product. He sees where every piece goes, the millions of pieces of incidents that happen in the world, in, in your life, and he sees the finished picture, and it's beautiful. We see one piece at a time. We look at this piece, and we're like, oh, that's ugly. How is Sutherland Springs, Texas going to fit into something beautiful? It just won't fit. It's an ugly color. It's, it's something I hate. I would never, this is no explanation for this, but God puts it in there and it's like, I understand now. It's in light of eternity. It, see, God sees eternity. And that makes all the difference in the world. Man, if we, 
If our life gets short, we're supposed to live this 70, 80, 90, 100 years or so down here. If our life gets cut short a couple years, oh, it's a tragedy. Man, I can't believe that happened to them or to me or to my family. But in light of eternity, what is 90 years? Do you think God maybe sees a bigger picture and and when he says he's working all things together for our good, he is actually working things together? We don't know what's coming in the future. He does. Maybe he's pulling people out for a reason. I'm just saying that's eternity could be the difference. And we sit here with our little pea brains and dare to question why God allowed this, why God allowed that. You know, when God granted mankind free will, it also came with a propensity for great evil. When he gave us the ability to choose, which he hasn't taken back from us, and maybe that, maybe that one man last Sunday gave in to the deepest darkness, took a weapon, and sent those people home early. But even in that, eternity is the difference maker. Even in that, we know where they are. And so we find comfort in eternity. It's the big picture. And if I do anything as your pastor, I'm always trying to get you to see the big picture, not to be like chickens pecking down in the, in the, in the kennel thing and can't see past the chicken wire. Understand that God is still in control. A view of eternity makes all the difference. Do you know that God allowed his own son to be nailed to a cross? Explain that one. Well, we can now. Because in light of eternity, we know it was for the greater good. At the time, it didn't seem any redemptive value. But we know it was the most redemptive act of all in recorded history. God is in control. We see God's character in Jesus. Let's begin to study a little bit about Jesus. We see a willingness to suffer. We see that he would suffer the most horrific physical torment, emotional language, rejection and sorrow. And why? In seeing Jesus... We see how much we're worth to God. The things that he suffered. Suffering is not always a bad thing. It is part of life. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, but also the fellowship of his sufferings. There is a reason for pain. There are people that have this condition where they cannot feel pain. And it is horrific. Their parents pray for their kids. Please let them feel pain, Lord. Because they go around touching hot stoves and getting their hand run over and broke. And they can't play sports because they, no, there's no pain to corral them in. And to make sense of things for them. Even pain and suffering God uses for a greater good. God will use these things. Ephesians 5.2 says, Live a life filled with love. 
follow the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, for a pleasing aroma to God. See, it pleased God to bruise his own son. That's hard for us to understand. But as a parent, did you not spank your child at one point? If not, then we'll go visit them at jail when we leave here today. Okay? Or did you, uh, or you disciplined them and you didn't want to. It, it made them suffer some sort of way to show consequences, right? Jesus showed also deep humility. Jesus showed deep humility. And if he's reflecting the character of God, what kind of God is humble? You're God. Why would you value humility? But Jesus was born in a stable. The king of kings. This is one that gets me. He was obedient to his parents as a kid. Come on now. Which one of you, if you were God, you would be obedient to your parents as a kid? We can't even be obedient to our parents and we ain't nothing. He was Jesus. He could have thrown a miracle on her and said, get off me, mama. But he didn't. Luke 2.51 says, Then he returned to Nazareth with them, meaning his parents, and he was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. I bet she did. I bet she did. How many remembers that song, Mary, Did You Know? We sing it at Christmas time. There's a part in there that says, Mary, did you know that your baby has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Hey, look. Let me ask you a question, mamas. Do you remember holding your firstborn that first time and looking down with such love in your heart that you couldn't hardly take it? But your first reaction is, how am I going to do this? Where's the book? Where's the rule book? What do I do? Our God made himself vulnerable to human parents as a little helpless baby. God, vulnerable to us and for us. He entrusted God, entrusted his son to human parents. That's how much he believes in you. It's incredible. Too many today, they stand ready to accuse God with not being with the times. They had never read their Bible, but they claim it's a book of fairy tales. It's passed away. It's old. They want the Word of God the way they want the American Constitution, living and breathing. What they really mean is they want it flexible to their moral whims is what they really mean. They want to change it whenever they feel like they want to change it, when they want to change their way of living. When the fads come and go, they want the Word of God to change with them, and they want the Constitution to change. But that's not the way it works. Not if you're going to stand true to our founding fathers. 
They say things trying to bait you. How do you think God feels about gay people? You say, you're not going there, are you, Pastor? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm not ashamed about how God feels about gay people. And it may not be the way you think God feels about gay people. I feel like God would treat a gay person no differently than he treated the woman caught in the act of adultery. And how did he treat her? He treated her with dignity and worth. He saved her life. What Homosexuality is just a sexual sin the same as adultery. It's not any greater. He saved her life. He showed her compassion. He, said, he might say to us about homosexuals today, do you really want to be the first one to cast the stone? You might want to get that log out of your eye before you go trying to get a speck out of somebody else's eye. Is it a super sin that God can't forgive? He would say, though, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What did Jesus mean when he said, I came not to condemn the world, but through me that the world might be saved? He didn't need to condemn the world. Why? We were already condemned. He didn't have to come to reiterate what had already happened and taken place in the garden. We were all condemned. In fact, it says in Romans 5.18, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. See, God wants us to live a new life. He wants us to change from our former ways. He wants us to repent. You see, the problem with people asking this question, expecting to be able to get an aha moment on God, it's the, the problem is not a lack of forgiveness on God's part, but that this particular sin seems to have risen above to the level of being celebrated in America. It's not a lack of forgiveness. It's a lack of repentance that is really the issue. It's celebrated. They have pride parades. But saying that, let me say this. You had your little pride parades too. With your sins. Somebody loved you. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if the homosexuals cannot come into the church, then shame on us. Where are they going to go? We are to love everyone. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge, say indulge. This is an important word, I believe, in this scripture. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols, 
or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality. And then it goes on. Or or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or even cheap people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Man, that makes us all feel a little more humble, doesn't it? But when it says indulge, somebody wants to get saved right now. I want to. Okay, but when it says indulge, that means to let yourself go into it. That means you're not ashamed of it. You're not repenting of it. You're celebrating it. Thank you. You're okay with it. There's no repentance in your heart. It's not a lack of forgiveness on God's part. It's a lack of repentance on people's part. It is the problem. Jesus came preaching the same way John the Baptist did. He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Be forgiven. Go and sin no more. God wants everybody to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish. You know, God is both just and merciful at the same time. And that's like, how do you possibly do that? If you adhere to every point of the law, how can you possibly be merciful? Those two couldn't coexist. Except for the one way to do it is if you yourself pay the penalty for them. God wasn't soft on the wages of sin. He just put it on His Son so that He could show us mercy. I don't know. Somebody need to shout, Thank you, Jesus! Woo! What sin was doing to mankind was so abhorrent to Jesus that He was willing to give His life to defeat it. He couldn't take what sin was doing, and we play with it, and we pet it, and we try to get up to the edge of it, of that cliff. And we think it's okay, and we do it, and we just presume on the grace of God time and time again. We need to stay away from sin. It's a serious matter to God. We certainly don't need to indulge in it. God is a forgiving God. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. I've used that scripture so many times. But the thing is, I keep coming back to him. I keep feeling bad about my sin. I keep repenting. I don't want to just live in it. Jesus was a friend of sinners. But he didn't condone their lifestyle. He loved the least of this. You know, Jesus came to save the whole world. We're talking about how God the Father feels, right? He came to save the whole world. The Father's talking to him in Isaiah 49, 6, and he says, he's talking to Jesus, or he's talking, Jesus hadn't come yet, but he's talking to the one who will come. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me, my chosen people, the one he chose to put his name on, the one he chose to use as an example for us to learn by, He said, you'll do more than save the people of Israel. I'll make you a light to the Gentiles. And a Gentile is simply somebody that's not a Jew. That means the rest of us. I'll make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. He loves 
Everyone. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What else can we learn? I wrote down a few nuggets that we can learn about the character of God the Father through Jesus. I, I, I mentioned this one earlier. He's not afraid of your questions. And he doesn't really need us up here making excuses for him. That takes a lot of pressure off me as a pastor because if I don't understand and somebody's asking me questions, God don't need me to make excuses. He is God all by himself. <laughs> and if you don't like his ways, you can lump it. I mean, that's the way he feels about it. But his ways are so good <laughs> that you got, to, you got to proclaim it. you got to tell the truth. He's not afraid of your questions. He loves to teach. Jesus went about teaching. He loves dialogue. He spoke with the, the woman at the well, talked, worked things out in her mind. You know, he, he talked to Nicodemus, one of the teachers of religious law, a Pharisee in the garden. He talked to uh, Abraham before he went. He negotiated with Abraham before he went to take Sodom and Gomorrah out. Man, you can be a friend of God. You can have input into God's decision-making through prayer. And we don't think prayer is important. Jesus, he was passionate about children. And we are too. Man, he loved the little children. He got excited about it. And so patient. Remember how long he waited on Philip to finally come to his revelation? He told the rest of the disciples in John 16, 31, Jesus asked, do you finally believe? Jesus shows us that God has emotions. He wept. I don't know if that touches your heart or not, but when I think that God wept, cried real tears here on the earth, I think of a tender God, somebody who cares. Now, he may be, have been crying because they refused to believe him more so than Lazarus being dead because he already knew what he was going to do with Lazarus. But I think he was weeping because of all the doubt and unbelief. But that's another story. Jesus shows us that God's good, going about seeking and saving, destroying the works of the devil. And he wants us to be co-laborers with him. That's exciting. He sent the disciples out two by two so that they could know the joy of winning souls. He created a church for us so that we could use our gifts and talents together. We could come and get refilled and give back out. He, he put us together so that we could work together and win this world together. He gave us a great commission. And it's, it makes, gives you worth to know that God is not just like, get out of the way, I'll do it, boy. How'd that make you feel when you was little? But daddy, can I get out of the way, boy? I'll tell you what you can do. You can get in the house with mama, you know. No. Our dad says, come on and let me show you how it's done. Woo. He let Simon help carry his cross up to the hill called Calvary. And he asked us to do the same thing, help carry the cross. You know, Jesus not only... Revealed God's character, 
but he revealed the Father cares. You know, he met our physical needs, our emotional needs, our mental well-being, healing, feeding, casting out devils. And he allowed his body to be torn so that the veil that was separating God and man could be torn. So that we could have fellowship. So that we could be adopted, as it were, into his very own family. You see, family is a God idea. And people can try to make it what they want to, but God's idea stands firm. Family is one man, one woman, together in holy matrimony forever. It's in your vows. Family was God's intent all along. A closeness with his, his children. A closeness between, I mean, he even showed us how to be faithful to our bride. Because you know who the bride was? We're the bride. The church is the bride. And Jesus laid down his life for the bride. And that's what men are supposed to do for their bride. Jesus couldn't stand to be apart from us. It's almost like it seemed like he was reluctant to leave a little bit to me. But even in doing so, he left because he went to prepare a place for us that we would go with him when we get there. Amen. He went to prepare a place, and he didn't leave us alone while he left. He sent his spirit into our hearts to, to be with us in the meantime. He was not willing for us to be alone for one moment. He will never leave us or forsake us. Amen? Our God is so tender and loving and so merciful. But let me say this before I close. Don't take his mercy as a sign of weakness. Because there's more sides to God than just his tender mercy. He's also coming back on a white horse. And he's going to gather everybody that wants to live righteous lives and, and to love the way he does, and they're going to be riding with him. But those who have chosen to, to fight against God and to, determined to cause mayhem and evil and disdain his character and, and all these things that we see going on, all the darkness, if they want to ride against God, he gives them free will to do so. But I can tell you when he comes back, it ain't going to be good for them. It's going to be good for us. It ain't going to be good for them. So, as God's children, and that's what we are, if Jesus is our Lord, what are we reflecting? Jesus did what? Reflected the Father. When we see Jesus, we've seen who? 1 John 2.6 says, Those who say they live in God should live lives as Jesus did. Would people say when they've seen you in any shade of understanding, could they say they've seen the Father? Jesus could say, hundred percent truthfully, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We were originally made in God's image, you remember? And then the fall of man messed that up. But Jesus came and redeemed us. And now his spirit is back in us. And we should be measurably changing so that people can say, they act like God. 
He says, be ye holy, for I am holy. He wants us to be a reflection. Why? Ephesians 5, 1 says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you're his dear children. When they've seen you, have they seen the Father at all? When you've seen an Allen, you've seen another brick in the wall of a hero, of a patriot. When you've seen a Sheffield, maybe you've seen another chapter in the book. When you've seen a child of God, what do you see? Somebody reflecting the family from which they originate. Bill Morgan, he said this, Everybody familiar with the Alamo where they had the last stand in Texas, San Antonio? He said, on the wall in the Alamo is a portrait that says, James Butler Bonham. No picture of him exists. It says, this portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It is placed here by the family that the people might know the appearance of the man who died for their freedom. They didn't have a picture of that man, so they put a picture of his nephew up to so because they looked alike. He says no literal portrait of Jesus exists either, but the likeness of the Son who makes us free can be seen in the lives of his true followers. When they've seen you, have they seen Jesus? 1 John 5, 20, and we'll close. 1 John, not the Gospel of John. This is toward the very back of your Bible. 1 John 5, 20. This is the scripture that I was reading when this whole series, I mean, this whole message came to me. 1 John 5, 20. It says, and we know that the Son of God has come. And he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. That's one of the main reasons he came, so that we can know the heart of God. He gave us understanding when we see Jesus. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and He is eternal life. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Jehovah Witness. <laughs> Boy, if they ever come back. Jehovah's Witness say no man has seen God at any time. They take it out of context. Maybe I haven't physically laid eyes on Jesus myself or on the Father myself, but I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, He is the King of my heart, and my heart sees Him every day. Every time I open this Word, every time I pray, every time I feel His presence, every time I, I meditate on my God, I see Him. And I hope people around me see Him in me. That we may be one as he is one. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. 
We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.